0: please be seated. If you have a Bible, please open to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. The text is also printed in the bulletin for you. Ephesians 6, 4. So we're talking about um, the household codes or the household tables that appear near the end of the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. It's probably a circular letter, so he's writing it uh, deliberately to more, probably a a broader perspective. range of folks than just those in Ephesus, those Christians that uh, he either knew or became Christians in the church there after he had departed, but um, he's been talking about the gospel uh, from the beginning of the letter, uh, filling out for us a vision of who God is and what he's done for us in in the person and work of Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit who fills us. And, uh, hey, Ransom, you can't do that, buddy. Thanks. (laughs) And um, and when he uh, gets toward the, the latter part of the, uh, the message to the Ephesians, he's talking about their practical lives, their practical relationships, the relationships that they're in day-to-day on a day-to-day basis. So he uh, began talking about husbands and wives, and now he's talking about parents and children. And uh, Next week we'll look at um, uh, work relationships as he addresses them. But uh, last week we talked about um, how children are to obey and honor their parents. This week we're going to talk about um, how the parents treat the children, so uh, how we relate with them. Paul addresses the relationship between parents and children in more than one letter, Uh, and and Paul's mind often runs to the kids, right? It runs to the kids. He's thinking about the kids in in the churches where he's writing these letters. He's thinking about them not just because they're cute and furry and cuddly, right? Um, He's thinking about them because children and the relationship between parents and children— it's just a huge part of God's plan for the world. God's original plan for the world. And his plan for our relationships and his plan for the way that we uh, reflect him and his love in our lives. So these are relevant verses to us here. It seems, well, just one verse this morning. Um, it's, it's relevant to us when Paul is addressing the relationship between parents and children. Uh, half of our congregation is young children, right? And a lot of times... Um, you know, when you're kind of giving a report about, like, how church is going to other pastors, uh, they ask you, well, how many people are attending? And you say, X. Well, but .5X is really just uh, little kids. And everybody laughs and says, well, you've got to count them too, right? No, it's more important than that. You do have to count them as part of our church. That's uh, Paul does. He talks to the kids as if they're full-on members of the church. And we need to consider our relationships to the kids in the church, whether you're parents or not, right? uh, Because one of the things that we do is w- when we um, have baptisms for children who are born to the members of our church, we have infant baptisms, one of the vows that we take, uh, the, the vow that we take as a congregation, as the, as the parents are, are taking their vows uh, during that baptism, the vow that the congregation takes is this, do you, under, do you undertake the responsibility of assisting these parents in the Christian nurture of this child, Right? So if you're a member of the church and you've been here uh, for any length of time and seen us do one of these baptisms, you've said yes to that. You've committed yourself to helping these children grow in the Lord, right? Uh, so whether you're a parent of these children or not, these are relevant verses for us because we're all in this together, helping each other to grow in Christ. So um, just real quick synopsis, basically, of what I'm going to talk about. My parenting plan is pretty simple, right? Pretty simple. It's to repent quickly and frequently. Usually for my parenting <laughs> in front of the kids, right? So to repent quickly and frequently. Maybe that uh, seems humorous to you, but uh, pretty serious about that. So we'll talk about that from uh, this scripture passage this morning. So let me pray, then I'll read the text. <clears throat> Father, we desperately need your help as we consider your word about this, this relationship that is very important to so many of us in the room. In fact, all of us um, have made a commitment to the church and to the children of the church in such a way that this becomes important for us to know how it is we should interact with children, whether they're ours or or not. And so we pray that you would make us more the type of people that would interact well after your likeness in your image with the children that you've placed in our lives, especially those of us who are parents. We pray that you'd help us as we consider your word by your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, there... Literally, the word is translated "well," fathers. That's who's being addressed here. Fathers. It could be translated; um, it could be translated as parents, and that is applicable. This verse uh, applies to parents, but it is—it's um, addressing fathers in particular, probably because it's a very significant role that fathers have in the lives of their children. Right? There's plenty of studies, uh, sociology studies that show that um, that the fathers role in the, the lives of his children is critical it's critical right so we've heard all those studies before we have to raise fathers we have to raise our children we can't just delegate that out entirely to everybody uh else but well, not even your wife right not even the mother you can't delegate everything about being a father to other people so um so we need to hear what paul has to say to us as fathers uh, first and foremost but again this does apply to um to everybody else. But, but fathers, it's more than just sociological stats, right, or studies that tell us why this is important for fathers to pay attention to how they interact with their children and raise their children. Uh, it's more than um, just things you can read in a newspaper. It's, it's for biblical reasons. It's for theological reasons because fathers reflect God himself. They reflect the, the most fundamental thing that we know about God, that God makes known to us, Is that he is a father. He is a father. And so fathers are called to reflect him. God is primarily father in relationship with son, and vice versa, right? But father in relationship with son, ultimately. And the world was made through their love for one another in the Trinity. The world was made through their creative love. And we, as humanity, made in God's image, we were made for the same kind of creative love the same kind of creative love obviously not on the same scale creating all things out of nothing like God does but, um, but we're made to reflect God's fatherliness in our relationships so we're made um, so there's uh, what is often referred to as the cultural mandate in Genesis chapter 1 where it says when God made a man and woman in his image it says God blessed them And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And right there in in those couple of verses you have uh, why Paul is talking about these household codes, the way that we treat one another in marriage, parenting, and work relationships. Uh, It goes right back to Genesis chapter 1. Humanity is meant to be characterized by love that multiplies itself, love that reproduces itself. Um, but ever since the garden, we've been characterized instead by self-love. We view other humans and we use other humans for our own pleasure or for our own advancement uh, for ourselves. We use others for ourselves. It's very hard to do this when you have children. Nevertheless, we still manage to do it, to live for ourselves and use others for our own purposes. It's easy to see our kids as Props for our pleasant life, right? Um, a pleasant life for me. And when I say that out loud, it's, it's revolting, right? It's easy to view our kids as props for my pleasant life. That sounds terrible. Children aren't objects that assist us in our own happiness project, our own righteousness project, or security project. Right? They are people in their own right. So what are we doing when we yell at them because we're so frustrated we just want a little peace and quiet, please? What are we doing when we threaten them for embarrassing us in public? Apparently my comfort, apparently my reputation wasn't their top priority here, right? Um, But Paul says, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't provoke your children to anger. It's easier for us to say, wait, wait, shouldn't he be saying, kids, don't provoke your parents to anger? <laughs> right? Um, don't provoke your children to anger. The teaching, this teaching was more obviously profound in stark contrast with the ancient Roman culture where Paul originally wrote this to, where fathers owned their children like property and could even they even had the rights really to kill them. Um, but the text still speaks to us if we're paying close enough attention. Peter O'Brien is a commentator, and he quotes another commentator, Andrew Lincoln. <clears throat> and um, that's, that's just, you didn't need to know that, I guess. But in, uh, in Peter O'Brien's commentary on Ephesians, this is where I found this quote from Andrew Lincoln. So it says, that the apostle is ruling out, quote, excessively severe discipline. Unreasonably harsh demands, abuse of authority, arbitrariness, unfairness, constant nagging and condemnation, subjecting a child to humiliation, and all forms of gross insensitivity to a child's needs and sensibilities, end quote from Lincoln. Peter O'Brien continues, behind this curbing of a father's authority, is the clear recognition that children, while they are expected to obey their parents in the Lord, are persons in their own right who are not to be manipulated, exploited, or crushed. Right, so, Children, talking to adults, talking to parents, all of us really who are adults, children are our equals before God. We call them our children, but we don't own them. We're placed in a certain kind of relationship with them. God wants us in this relationship, right? We're placed in it, and it's meant to be one where we exercise a caring authority, right? Caring authority in the lives of our children. But, but they, they are full persons in their own right. Self-centered parenting doesn't consider that. It doesn't consider their personhood, right? But God won't leave us alone in that. He won't leave us alone in our self-centered parenting, It's a common theme among young parents, Uh, those who maybe have just gotten married, getting married, uh, really exposes our self-centeredness, having children even more so, right? Having children really shows you how much you're just living for yourself. But God's not just interested in exposing that. He's not just interested in making you know you really are selfish, right? Uh, He's looking to eradicate it. So maybe we can think of it as a, as a twist on uh, Homer Simpson's words there that are at the beginning of the bulletin. Uh, Homer Simpson said, marriage is like a coffin and each kid is another nail. <laughs> right? Marriage is a coffin and each kid is another nail. It's true in this sense, is that the self-centered self has to die. It has to die. And child raising is a great arena for that. Dan Doriani says um, that Martin Luther, recalling that he never awoke with pigtails in his face and his blanket gone in the monastery, observed that family life is a school of character. That is, parenting blesses us, blesses us, not just our kids, it blesses us, by teaching us to love sacrificially, to bend our will to another's, parenting teaches us to expand the circle of compassionate concern beyond ourselves to our children, our community, and even the good of distant generations. So, family life um, that uh, <clears throat> Martin Luther's talking about here that you can't experience as a, a monk, right? Um, it's uh, particularly experienced by those who have children in the home family life isn't the solution to the problem in and of itself. Just having more children will make you less selfish. It's not the solution. It's an arena, right? It's a school. You could go to school and not learn anything. Uh, So we need the gospel. That's what we really need to change us from the inside out. That's exactly what Paul's been talking about all through this letter. The triune God of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God whose essence is love, he's been at work and he is now working to refashion you in his image, which is one of true love, not self-love. This God is working to refashion you in his image to take your humanity and fix it so that it reflects his love once again. Ultimately, he's done this as he restored humanity in the person of his own son, Jesus Christ. The perfect son of God came and took a human nature to himself so that he could restore what was broken about our humanity. He assumed it so that he could redeem it. And the life of Christ, the life of Jesus Christ is one of absolute self-sacrifice for the sake of love. And that life, his life, his humanity, that new humanity, that other-oriented self, is yours through faith in him as his spirit unites you to him. So Paul says to put on that new self. Put on that new humanity that's made in God's image. And be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right, Be filled with Christ's own spirit. Stop living for yourself. Stop demanding an easy life from your children. An easy life for yourself from your children. Stop demanding that. And start living for them and for the next generation pouring out your life for them. As a response to the gospel. It says, uh, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That word discipline usually has negative com- connotations for us, and a lot of times in the Scripture it has to do with our suffering or pain that shapes us, right? Um, here it's, it's really more broadly applied. The word behind it is one that basically just means child-rearing. So um, uh, bring them up in the in Christian child-rearing, in Christian instruction is what that means, discipline <clears throat> and instruction of the Lord. Um, So we're not here to just do whatever it takes to make your children behave better. That's not what it means to be a Christian parent, right? Um, We're talking about Christian discipleship. Christian parenting is discipleship of our children. Um, Discipleship is given to us as as an overarching concept, kind of summarized in the Great Commission. Matthew 28, Jesus says to his disciples, You go... And you make disciples of all the nations by baptizing them and by teaching them. Go and make disciples by baptizing them and teaching them. So it's, in some ways, parallel to this this command: uh, raise these children in the Lord by disciplining them and instructing them, like shaping life for them, giving them a reality that uh, that is in line with the gospel and teaching them about the gospel of Jesus, right? So take op- every opportunity to reproduce love. That's what we we're made for, creative love, love that multiplies, love that reproduces. We we're meant to, um, to help our children to love, right? So take every opportunity to do that in them by shaping their lives in every way and including um, explicitly Christian instruction where you're teaching them, right? So N.T. Wright says this, the parent's duty is in effect to live out the gospel to the child. That is to assure their children that they are loved and accepted and valued for who they are, not for who they ought to be or should have been or might, if only they would try a little harder, become. And Brian Chappell says that the essence of parental love is, uh, is recognizing that we are the dispensers of God's grace into our children's lives. The chief goal of parenting is to create a life that knows and honors God. So Christian parents, the thing that you want most for your children, uh, really whether you know it or not, um, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian parent, the thing that you want most for your children is for them to have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the thing you want most for them, to live a life of repentance and true humility. Um, being shaped like that hasn't been a pleasant prospect for you, has it? In a lot of ways, it's involved suffering, humiliation, right? lots of confession of sin, lots of repentance, lots of dying to self. And whether you know it or not, that's what you want most for your children because that's what's best for them, to have a relationship with God that's characterized by these things. The first best thing you can do to facilitate that, the best thing that you can do, the first thing that you should do for your children is make sure you know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Make sure you know what that means. Um, I was on a plane this last week and we've all seen it so many times. We just tune it out and get on a plane and the the, uh, pl- the flight attendant is up there with the the gear, the manual, the life vest, the drop-down oxygen mask, all that stuff, and they run you through the, you know, this is what you do in case, um, in case we're crashing, basically. you know, <laughs> let's, let's call this what it is. In case we're all about to die, um, do this, right? Um, <clears throat> and they say, if oxygen is needed, a mask will drop down put your own mask on first so that you can then help your children. Put your own mask on first so that you can help your children with their mask. The reality is um, we need the same grace that they need. They they need grace just as much as we do. We're going to sin for the rest of our lives. So are they. What are we going to do about that? Um, God loves them in spite of their sin, just like he loves us in spite of our sin. We better know what that means. Right? And if we really do know what that means, if we can rejoice in God's grace in Christ to us, then we can we can relax in God's grace to our children in a lot of ways. <clears throat> but they need to know they need to know that the Heavenly Father loves them and that He loves them more than you do might be hard for you to imagine that. Do you, do you know that? That God loves your children more than you do? He loves them better than you do. He knows what's better for them, uh, better than you do. And, and all of this means, first of all, you need to believe this. You need to believe that the Heavenly Father is good. He's good to you and He's good to your children. Right? You need to know that for yourself so that you can communicate that to your children. They need to experience His gracious love the love of Christ himself, they need to experience that through your gracious love to them. Just being present with them when they're inconsolable, or when they're thrown a tantrum. Just not shunning them, not shaming them when they're being difficult. Even when, you know, embracing them, whether that's literally, physically embracing them or just being with them while they're being difficult, even when that brings you pain or humiliation, doing that. Being with your children. You need to, maybe this won't make sense right away, but I'll explain it. You need to create Christian liturgies in their lives, in your home. You need to shape everything in, in your life. You need to create these Christian liturgies, which means basically you're building in a structure, right? Whether or not you're always making that explicit, whether you're explaining why we do what we do all the time or not. Um, because the Gospel frequently gets caught before it gets taught, so you need to build Christian liturgies in your home they They might expect uh pancakes every Saturday, right with our family it's a lot of times waffles right um, They might come to expect that, and they clamor for that. Do they expect to sing the doxology before every dinner time? Do they expect to eat dinner together? <laughs> it should be basic right? Do they expect things like that because you've worked it into their lives as a a regular pattern? We need to arrange, this is part of the same concept, we need to arrange the physical spaces in our homes. It might seem mundane, but you know what? We are earthly creatures. We are bodily. And the fact that we've got maybe the most important room in our house situated around a particular altar that hangs on the wall and shows us moving images to amuse us That's a liturgy. And we engage in that and it shapes us. And there's another room in our house where there's a table where we sit around it and we all look at each other. That's a better liturgy. So shaping the physical spaces in our homes, arranging our schedules around time that's spent together in worship. Worship together. Time spent caring for one another and eating together and talking together together, cultivating relationships because those are the things that are going to last. Right? They better last. Uh, you hope they last. That when your, your children become adults, they, they want to come back and talk to you. Right? That's what we're after to a large degree. Uh, we need to, to shape their lives now by giving opportunities for the God of love and not some other God. But for the God of love to show himself glorious over against those other gods, the gods of our culture, materialism, consumerism, entertainment. It will also need to be taught right, the instruction of the Lord. Um, uh, there are several passages in the Old Testament, one of them uh, Jennifer read this morning for our Old Testament reading, but uh, other places where it, s- it says... Um, you're to do this, you're to, you're to partake of the Passover together, and here's all the instructions for you. And one of those instructions is when your kid asks you, why are we doing this? <laughs> you have something to tell them, and it's about the story of the gospel. Right? You need to be able to instruct them in the gospel. You need to make them aware of the idols of our age, aware of the fact that when we're watching television and there's commercials going on, what those people are trying to tell us, the, the worldview that they're trying to promote and communicate um, make them aware of all of these instances where the world's trying to break in to, and, and uh, cut off their relationship with God right? make them aware of those things explicitly and they, need to, they also need to see you acknowledge the difference between you and God right? they need to see God's love through you you need to communicate God's love to them as you're gracious to them and you also need to show them a difference between you and God because you're not perfect You're, in one sense, just a beggar trying to point them as other beggars to where we can find bread together. Um, They need to see you acknowledge the differences. He loves them, and he will never fail them, and you will fail them. You've already done it, Christian parents. (laughs) Um, But God will not. So my parenting plan, then, is repent. Repent quickly. Repent, Repent frequently. Repent to your children, ask them for forgiveness for the way that you've been parenting them, for the way you've been interacting with them. You probably need to say, I'm sorry, on a daily basis. If you're anything like me, right, you need to say sorry uh, frequently to them. And Scotty Smith, this this is important. Scotty Smith is a pastor, he says, the parents who know how to repent in front of their kids give them a greater gift than a Harvard education. If you know how to repent in front of your kids, you're giving them the best gift. When you confess your sin to your children, which the world says, boy, they're below you, right? You would never show such a sign of weakness as to confess your sin and and apologize to these children. When you do that, when you confess your sins and you apologize to your children, that is not a failure of Christian parenting. That's what discipleship is. You're teaching them something. And it's good for you, right? It's good for everybody involved. It takes it takes real assurance of God's forgiveness to be able to confess your sins to people. It takes real gospel given courage to confess your sins, and your confession shows them that they don't have to live their entire lives trying to cover up their own sins and make themselves look perfect. Because it's not true. And God has provided a way to cover up their sins. He's covered them already in, in Christ's blood. Do you know that for yourself? Has that freed you up to be able to confess your sins to your kids and uh, and repent in front of them? <clears throat> so we need to get that gospel, that's a life-changing gospel, changes all of our relationships. We need to get it in front of our children all the time explicitly. Right? Shape, shape their lives in every way. Create these liturgies in the household that will teach without you saying a word in a lot of times, uh, but but then say those words, right? Say those words. You need to read the Bible to your kids. Right? You need to explain the Bible to them, but just reading it, reading it to them. Explaining the gospel to them, helping them to apply the gospel to situations in their lives when they stole a cookie from the cookie jar or whatever it was, right? Um, helping them to apply the gospel to their lives. Um, use the catechism. This is, these are always available on the book table. This little catechism for young children super great kids love it they love sitting down at at dinner time and um, being asked a couple questions and then and then run through those questions what does that mean what does it mean that god is father son and holy spirit (laughs) it's a lot of good conversations you can have with your kids about the gospel and about the, the scriptures we need to demonstrate and explain to them our own repentance our own faith and we need to worship together with them and sing together with our with our kids um and we need to take them to church Uh, Brian Chappell says, the Lord's expectation is that biblical parenting occurs in a church context. That's why we have it in a letter to the church. Um, Biblical parenting takes place in a church context. So anyone living in our homes, anyone who comes and stays with us or or even just sees us in our homes, but especially anyone living in our homes, getting to know us, uh, they should sense God's encouragement from us. They should sense the way the gospel is shaping that environment, especially our children, especially our children uh, who really couldn't escape if they wanted to, right? Um, Anyone visiting our church, likewise, anyone visiting our church should sense God's hospitality and his caring warmth and the encouragement from the scriptures that he gives us especially the children, especially the children, even if we're not their parents. They should pick that up from us, So, I mean, that's why we do things like nursery, Sunday school, make, make our home groups open and inviting and welcoming and in- integrating kids into those places and integrating them into the, the service projects that we do, you know. Uh, and I know there, there are lots of you who participate in those things as adults. You don't have kids of your own, right? Uh, or your kids are grown. And there's little kids running around, and, and you help in the nursery. Right. That's great. Uh, that's really great. <clears throat> as we live together, as the church is supposed to live together in Christ, in Christ, we transmit that kind of life, a Christian life, a life in Christ. We transmit that to the children of the church as we live that way together. So the children need to see Jesus. They need to see him not just in us, Sometimes it needs to be made explicit how that's in contrast to us, right? Um, we need to see Jesus in contrast with us whenever that's necessary, which means that we as Christian parents or Christian adults in the church, we need to live lives of faith and repentance publicly in front of our kids, right? For them, for their sakes, for their, for their discipline and instruction in the Lord. So let's do that. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we're thankful for the children you've placed in our lives, the children you've placed in this church. The fact that you've placed us in their lives is uh, humbling indeed, and we pray that you would help us to um, be truly repentant and believing in the gospel uh, before all people, but especially before these children who are um, who are open to you, and they're open to the way that you work in the world and open to the way that you shape their lives, um, sometimes without even knowing it. We we pray that our participation in their lives and in what you're doing in their lives um, would not thwart what you're doing. As we know, nothing truly can thwart, uh, thwart your will. Your plans will be done, but we pray that, um, that we would help to facilitate that we would uh, not be obstacles to their growing in their faith in Christ, their dependence on you, uh, their living vicariously in Christ, knowing what it means to live forever, to have eternal life in a relationship with you. We want that for them, and we know that uh, because you're good, because you're better than we are, you will use everything in their lives to bring them to that end, and we pray that you would use us as well um, as you shape us in the image of Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.